Welcome to the Vine Podcast. This is Warren, and today I'm joined by Rachel and Jason for our conversation today. Good morning, Rachel. How are you? Jumbo, I'm good. How are y'all? Doing good. How are you doing, Jason? Jumbo Jamba. <laughs> doing excellent. It's a beautiful day. Very good. Well, good to, good to get to spend some time with y'all again this morning. We're going to wrap up our what was uh, mainly a sermon series on kind of the armor of God. And it was one of those series that I, you know, I do this sometimes. I, I kind of had a three-week window of Sundays, and I thought, well, we can fit these, these short verses into these three-week windows, this three-week window. And then as often happens, I got into it, and I was like, oh, well, this could easily be six weeks. Um, but I, we're going to start some new stuff beginning on Easter on Sunday mornings. And so I thought we'd wrap up this series with, with a podcast discussion of the uh, kind of wrapping up that series and looking at three of the pieces of armor in the armor of God. So last Sunday, we looked at, at uh, three of kind of the specific pieces of armor that, that Paul has in there. We're going to talk about the other three specifically in just a little bit here in this conversation, but I wanted to start a little more broadly with both of you because we haven't talked about, I don't think we've talked about this topic in podcast form at all, I don't guess, but I wanted to talk about something I kind of began talking about uh, at the beginning of last Sunday's sermon where I, I talked about this idea that sometimes I struggle with knowing exactly kind of what we, what is the best approach to metaphors like this in Scripture or lists like this in Scripture? Like, does Paul have in mind for us to kind of parse all these things out individually and make all these connections between, you know, salvation and a helmet? Or are we, should we approach the list more holistically and kind of generally? And I shared some thoughts on that on Sunday, and I've got maybe a couple of other quick thoughts for our conversation today. But I'm curious to hear from, from each of you do y'all have any thoughts on that or, or do you kind of wrestle with some of those same things or do you have a thought of kind of maybe what do you think is the best way to approach a list like this that we, that we see with the armor of God? Yeah, I, I do wonder because, I mean, metaphors are interesting because I think all metaphors are very much embedded in the time and place in which they're being used. I mean, a metaphor uh, is is used li- literarily as a way to help people better understand a more challenging concept by putting it into a concept that's a little bit more understandable. And so, you know, the time and the place of Paul's writing is so far removed from our time and place that sometimes I wonder how much of that metaphor is lost. And I think a lot of the metaphors in the Bible, you know, do, do in, you know, no part to the author or the, the scripture itself, but just due to the fact of what metaphors are, a lot of the meaning behind those metaphors is inevitably going to get lost every time a metaphor is used in scripture. So I think my my thoughts always go to what are those aspects that are lost and and what are those things that what are what is the meaning of a metaphor that we just simply don't are not able to discern at this point in time um 
And that doesn't make the metaphor meaningless and doesn't mean that we can't derive some importance from it. But but clearly, we're not going to be able to understand the uh, what the author was was trying to illustrate to the depth and to the degree of the original audience. And so so when I when I look at this list of the armor of God, um, you know, I, I do wonder what am I missing here? What what aspect of that metaphor would the original readers or even readers within a couple of hundred years of its writing would have been able to pick up on that me in the year 2022 uh, living in Texas in the United States uh, would have no concept of. That's kind of the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah, and I think to that point, you know, we even have a saying that we say sometimes in our context of something like every metaphor breaks down at some point. This idea that even when comparing current, you know, imagery and and language that we would know more intuitively, we recognize that when we use language like that metaphorically at some point, it, it kind of breaks down. And so how much more true is that when we're looking back in time and just the difficulty of, of figuring that out? Yeah, certainly, certainly has some challenges. Rachel, do you have any thoughts on any of that? For some reason, two people in Christian history came to my mind. And the first one is Augustine from the third and fourth century early Christianity. And I think that he liked manipulating metaphors and would kind of draw out these deeper meanings and illustrations from them that we might even say, well, that's taking a little bit too far. Um, And then another person is Spurgeon, who is a Baptist preacher. Um, I think it was maybe 1800, something like that. And he um, also, I think, would use metaphors in what we would probably say is a liberal way, like really using freedom with it. And so I think that within Christian history, we have the precedent of people carrying these metaphors to their furthest extent. Um, And so I wouldn't really say that it's out of bounds for us to try and parse out their meaning but I think that it is helpful to know the historical context of, of what they meant to their original audience. Or like on Sunday when you talked about the, the shields and how they would line up the shields together. And so that brought in an, an additional aspect about community. It's not just your individual shield, but the power of the shields together. So I don't think I would be too worried about reading too far into it. Um, but I think knowing the historical context helps us to understand its meaning and what it should also mean to us. Yeah, Spurgeon's, Spurgeon's a good name because I do think he likes to uh, come up with his own metaphors and imagery in, as well. You can find a lot of his sermons online and they are very image and metaphor mm-hmm. rich and very long, very long. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I think I, I referenced one of his sermons a few weeks ago that was like a 50-minute sermon on three words from Isaiah or something like that. That was just, yeah, it's lots lots of imagery that he came up with on his own. So that's that's a good reference. And I do think, yeah, I think, I know this isn't what you were suggesting, Rachel, but I know for me, like, it's not something that I, I worry about necessarily, but I do think it's it's a curiosity, I think, more than anything that I have of like, what did Paul have in mind? 
is Paul like expecting his readers to kind of meditate on each of these individually or take them as more as of a collective group? You know, I think that's one of the kind of questions that I have. But I also think that I think Paul, um, I, I think Paul encourages meditation and creative thinking about scripture and, and, and letting the spirit speak to us in, in individual ways in our own kind of place in our own spiritual journey. And, and so I do, I think I tend to think that we do end up making connections and application that go beyond the original intent, probably. But I also think that's completely faithful to how Paul would encourage us to engage scripture. And I think that is one of the reasons that it is important that we try to remain grounded in the truth and the message of scripture and in, in kind of concert with the spirit as we do that. Because you can end up taking it to, as you said, a manipulative end at some point that would go beyond, I think, even, you know, what Paul would be comfortable with. But, but I, I do think it, it leaves uh, room for exploration and discovery that I think makes study and discussion of Scripture more fun and compelling and interesting and ultimately um, applicable to us in our individual walks. I think your approach, I think it was two weeks ago, of what is not in this list and what should we not wear was a really interesting um, question to approach it with and kind of a fresh take. And so I think that in these lists, um, most of the time, I don't think they're necessarily saying this is everything that possibly exists within this category. Sure, Um, yeah. Especially like with spiritual gifts, I think that there's more. Paul is saying like, these are examples or these are the things that come to my mind. Let me rattle them off. But not that like, this is the all encompassing list. If you don't have any of these spiritual gifts, you've got nothing, you know? Um, So I think even with this, this armor of God, I think there are probably other things that we could think of that we would also say, this is something God has given me that helps me fight against the enemy and protects me and makes me able to stand. Yeah, I think that's a good point is that this isn't a comprehensive. I mean, most, most lists that you might come across both in scripture, but also in life are, are rarely going to be fully comprehensive. You can always think of other things that, that would fall into that. But I think what Paul is, is talking about here are the, the items that he believes are especially important for the Ephesians, uh, to, to, to keep, uh, in mind and to, and to really emphasize for them. And so, you know, there may be seasons in life where we are in a place similar spiritually to the Ephesians, or maybe a different time where we're in a place spiritually to, you know, more similar to the Corinthians or uh, to other, you know, people that, that Paul may be writing to. And so looking at this list, not as a comprehensive list of this is the be all and end all, but, you know, when we're feeling under threat, when we're feeling, um, you know, vulnerable in our faith. This is maybe a, a list, again, not to say this is everything, but this may be a good list for us to kind of remind ourselves about and draw strength from. Yeah, it does feel like sometimes when we come to list in scripture, there's a temptation to approach them almost as like recipes for a cake or something. Where it's like if if you know if I have a recipe, if I leave something out or add something to it, it's gonna mess it up. It's gonna mess up the recipe. 
but but yeah that that this uh, so I like that idea of these this isn't necessarily comprehensive but it's um it's indicative of some of the things that that would be helpful and doesn't necessarily include each and every item that that we could put in there it's not necessarily a hard and fast recipe that this is this is what you have to do and this is it and this is only it and do this and you're going to get a nice um a nice soldier of Christ cake that comes out of the oven <laughs> but uh, so with all that in mind, let's, I'm going to read the, the description of it again from Ephesians, just those few verses where Paul talks about the individual pieces of armor. And then, as I said, there are three pieces that we want to at least touch on in conversation today. We may end up hitting one or two of them, maybe more. Um, we'll just kind of see, see where we have some thoughts and, and where we're led in some of our discussion um, and, and go from there. So To pick up with the description again, here's what Paul lists out. He says, Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with a breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Okay, so three of those, as I said, we looked at this past Sunday. We looked at the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, and the shield of faith. And so today, we at least want to touch on, in some way, shape, or form, the other three elements of that. And so the first element that's listed there, we'll just kind of start there and and maybe get to the other two as we, as we see time and fit. But the first one that we want to get to today is your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So let's think about that for a minute. Either of you have any thoughts to kick us off with about what, what you hear in that or what you think Paul might have in mind, any of those things that we talked about earlier. What do you hear when you hear this about our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? Well, first of all, my I'm looking at the New Living Translation right in front of me, which is is a little bit different wording than what you read. Uh, was that the NIV? I believe it is. Okay, so the New Living Translation says, "For shoes, comma, put on the peace that comes from the good news, so that you will be fully prepared." And so that. I don't know, that to me rings a little bit differently in that uh, I've always, I very often have read that as being the preparedness or the righteousness is, you know, that that's the the shoe in the metaphor, as it were. But it seems that, um, that in the New Living Translation, those, the translators there decided to emphasize the peace, peace. E-A-C-E, as the actual garment, you know, and so that that is, and to me, I I read that as um, that I don't have this sense of that, that what Paul is saying is that my readiness comes not from this sense of panic or urgency. Well, I mean, maybe urgency, but not panic and not distress. And so I can move around, you know, it, it, but I'm not, 
you know, overly wrought with this um, sense of panic. And, and I think about the difference between if there's an emergency that I have to take care of, but I'm calm and collected and I can move with with deliberateness and I can move with efficiency, that's different than if there's an emergency and I'm just running around because I don't know what to do and I'm going here and there. And so I that that's kind of how I see the application of this metaphor that there's a peacefulness that comes from you know, the gospel of Jesus Christ, um, and that the preparedness is really, okay, I have this peace because I know that, that Jesus is Lord, and I know that he, that he has, has conquered over death, and uh, will ultimately conquer, you know, the evils of the world, and so I'm prepared with that faith, I'm prepared with the knowledge that, uh, that my faith brings, and I can go about the business of God in a meaningful way and in a deliberate way, but one that is not based on panic or fear, but is based on peace and uh, and comfort in, you know, God's truth. I'm wondering about the... Um the the word sometimes greek words are kind of like all packed together and so we're trying to figure out which part is the noun and which part is the adjective i think and so i'm wondering if like the shoes of the gospel of peace like is that all kind of like one packed together phrase or are these separate words that we can parse out um because it is interesting jason you're asking is it the peace that you're putting out putting on or to me, like, I just see, like, all of that being one thing together. Um, the gospel of peace are the shoes that you wear. So I think gospel of peace would be the one packed image. And then the metaphor is that those are the shoes that you're putting on. So to me, that communicates that you go everywhere in peace, that you create peace in the spaces in which you go. Um, and it's not just any kind of peace or superficial peace, but it's the gospel of peace, which is the ministry of reconciliation, that you're creating peace between people and God um, by carrying this message of the gospel with you, this ministry of reconciliation. Um, Another translation says, as shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. Um, So shoes, whatever. Um, just put on anything that's going to make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. And so I think it's about restoring relationships between um, God and the world. And that as disciples of Jesus, we have that ability and that power. Yeah. And I think that that, I think sometimes we do try to uh, parse things a little too finely. And, you know, I can appreciate what, what you're saying because, uh, yeah, I, I definitely am, you know, when I'm talking about peace as being what, what I'm putting on, I fully recognize that that's me reading into it in, in a large part, uh, which I don't think is problematic. I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing because ultimately I think it still is in keeping with, um, with the spirit of what Paul is saying and, and with what, uh, what I think he wants us to get out of it. Um, but but you're right. Ultimately, it's a matter of 
you know, just be, be prepared, but, you know, and that preparedness comes from God and that preparedness is both comes from the peace we have, but also it's a demonstration. It's a spreading of that peace as well. This is a, this is a thought I just had kind of as both of y'all were talking that I haven't, I haven't necessarily thought about kind of in, in any of my thinking about this series so far. So just go with me for a minute. Cause I don't, I don't know if I will agree with this, even after I'm done saying it, but I have this image in mind as y'all have been talking of, uh, y'all remember the movie, The Sandlot, where oh, at the end... That's an all-time great, man. Right, remember yeah, yeah, yeah. It. I, I, I was assuming, I was assuming y'all knew ago. it. Um, of course. I, I but, can't speak for Rachel, but that's a classic. Right. You there. know, at, at the end, when, uh, what's his name? Is it Benny that goes over the fence to get the ball? What's his name? Yeah, yeah, it's Benny. He goes over the fence, and before he goes over the fence to put, get the ball, he puts on his PF flyers, right? Because PF flyers <laughs> help you to run faster, jump higher, all that stuff. Well, and he was called Benny the Jet. Benny the he Jet. He was known right. for being fast. Yeah, but when he had to do this like special task, it's like this is the occasion to pull out the new PF flyers because they're going to make him faster, stronger, jump higher because he's going to need, need those things to do this special task. And and Outrun of course, beast. yeah, yeah. You you watch that though as an adult, and like you know that, like no shoe actually helps you to do those things, you know. And so, but there's this interesting connection, especially I think for as kids, when we think that like if I have this certain pair of shoes, they're gonna allow me to do something differently than I would be able to otherwise. It's why so many kids, like so many people my age when we were growing up wore Jordans and still, I still have this like, you know, special admiration and and affinity for Jordans over any type of other shoe. Because as a kid, you think if I can wear those Jordans, I'm going to play basketball like Michael Jordan. Like there's something about putting those shoes on your feet that just creates within you this mindset that now I can do anything. Now I can, I can run faster, jump higher, whatever. And so I think there's potentially a couple of points of connection with that. One is that I, the, my, the original thing I was thinking was that shoes don't actually help us do any of those things, but they, they create within you, like you have to be wearing them though. Like in order to do the task you're going to do, in order to, to play basketball, you need to be wearing basketball shoes, but no pair of shoes is going to help me to jump like Michael Jordan. And so on the one hand, I thought of that, that that, that shoes do seem to embody this kind of ability to equip us to do other tasks that maybe some of these other pieces of armor would do. And so I think to me, that's almost where the peace comes in and that peace creates within us readiness in order to go about accomplishing some of these other tasks that, that the other pieces of armor might equip us to do. And I was thinking that, you know, to me, even, you know, everyday tasks are just so much more difficult and laborious and strenuous when I do not feel like I am in a state of peace. If there is something sort of unpeaceful about my mindset, my spirit, whatever, uh, frustration comes a lot more easily. You know, I'm, I'm able to get dysregulated a lot more easily. Like it's just, you know, all those things come much more easily if we're not at peace. And, and so there's a readiness that just comes from that. Um, and so that was the first thing I thought about. But then I thought about that, that kind of kid-like mentality that, man, if I put on this certain pair of shoes, I can do anything. And I think, I think peace and the, the peace that comes from the gospel kind of creates that within us as followers of Christ and as people of the Spirit. I think sort of 
You know, like this idea that if I, if I equip myself with this, I'm going to be ready to tackle whatever beast lies on the other side of that fence. <laughs> if I've got the gospel of peace on, I can jump over that fence and, and do it, and I'm going to be okay. It reminds me of another story from my childhood. Um, as a kid on road trips with my family, I would always take off my shoes in the car. And so when we were getting close to our destination, my parents would give me a 10-minute shoe warning. So they would literally say, Rachel, 10-minute shoe warning. And so in those 10 minutes, I would start looking for my shoes in the car for wherever they had wandered during our long trip. And my dad knew that if he didn't give me a warning, I wouldn't be ready. I wouldn't be prepared. The time when we arrived at our destination, everyone would be hopping out of the car, and I would be scrambling where my shoes. (laughs) I wouldn't be able to get out of the car. I would, you know would be slowing things down. And so I think Paul is saying he doesn't want unprepared soldiers in wasted time. He admonishes us to always be prepared to share the gospel and to wear the gospel of peace like shoes that protect you and go with you everywhere you go go and have those ready. Um, So I think that the gospel makes peace and we carry that reconciliation power with us everywhere we go. And so sometimes we need a 10 minute shoe warning, but I think he's saying like, always have this on, always be ready and know how to explain and proclaim the gospel whenever you have opportunity. Man, there is nothing worse than getting to the end of a long road trip and someone doesn't have their shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) I can appreciate the 10 minute shoe warning and got some personal family stuff with that. Yeah, so maybe a 10-minute shoe warning would be good. <laughs> All right, I, I want to tell you a story and see if you can think of a of a theological application given the scripture. <laughs> uh, so when uh, my wife, when Carrie uh, graduated from Tulane University with her MBA, we went to New Orleans for the graduation ceremony. And my, I, I don't remember exactly how old my kids were. I think they were, I think they were like eight and 10 or something like that, or maybe a little younger than that, maybe like seven and nine. Anyway, they were old enough that at the point where we were letting them pack for themselves when we would go on weekend trips. And so we get in the car and we go and we get to, uh, to New Orleans and we get out of the car, we're going to go like to dinner or something. And, uh, my son Aiden doesn't have any shoes, not just, he doesn't have them on, there are no shoes in the car. Like he got in, in his sock feet and he hadn't packed any shoes and us being kind of the free range parents we were just kind of let that go. Well, he didn't have any shoes at all in, on the entire trip. And, and so what we ended up having to do was find a shoe store to buy him a pair of shoes that he could wear for that weekend that we were in new Orleans. And so there's probably this uh, this metaphor, or you know, we could probably extend this metaphor to kind of be like, hey, wherever you're going, yeah, it's good to have that ten minute shoe warning, but you need to have the shoes in the car with you for they that gotta to be with you, make yeah. a difference, <laughs> right? <laughs> and you probably, you know, for most people, you're not gonna necessarily be at a place or in a time where you necessarily want to go and buy a new pair of shoes. Uh, because you left yours at home. Mm. Yeah, always be ready. I think that's the purpose of a metaphor is always be ready, always be equipped. If you don't have your shoes on, that means you're not ready. 
when when the battle starts and you got to start looking for your shoes or tying them or working on the straps or trying to shove those heels in there that means you're not ready to go and and then that's when the enemy can attack because all of this is about fighting the spiritual battles and so i think paul is saying be aware be ready be on the lookout be equipped and ready to go yeah and i think the the other interesting part of this one to me is that and you you all both kind of touched on this earlier that because the translations translated a little bit differently but if you look at kind of what paul literally says though there this seems to be the only piece where he's not connecting the imagery here to a specific piece of armor. Like there's no, it's, you know, it's helmet of salvation. It's sword of the spirit, breastplate of righteousness. And at least in what he says specifically, it's not shoe of readiness or shoe of peace. You know, there's nothing like that. It's just that your feet are to be fitted with uh, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Literally, it's something like having shod your feet with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Um, And again, not to parse this out too much, but I do think there is this idea here that it's it's not even that that the sandals or the feet or the footwear or 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 whatever are are depicted as readiness, but it's as if that the, the the shoes the footwear are replaced by readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Like that is that is what Paul envisions us putting on. That is how we are to be ready. That's how we're going to, that's how we are to go out and and fight our battles, approach the world, whatever, is with this readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I think maybe to connect it back to some of the other things I was saying earlier that, you know, I'm thinking about now, like, you know, my mind typically goes to sports stuff, but, you know, if you have a, a football player who's out there as the only player on the team, even if they have shoes on, if they don't have cleats on and just have on tennis shoes, they're going to be at a disadvantage. They're not going to be ready for what they're supposed to be doing. Um, and so, yeah, there's this idea of, of, of having shoes, but even for certain situations, I've got to have the right type of shoe. I've got to put the right type of, of footwear on my foot so that I can be ready, so I can be prepared. And so I do think that idea of readiness and, and preparedness keeps coming up, I think, in a lot of the, the, the thoughts, the metaphors, the stories that we can be thinking of, that there is a readiness and preparedness that is associated with, with what we put on our feet. Uh, okay, let's move on to the other two, and, and maybe let's just hit, hit these two in concert before we close out today. Helmet of salvation and sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Either of you have thoughts on either one of those? For the helmet of salvation, I looked at First Thessalonians 5, 8. It says, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. So it adds a word of hope there, but it's still the same concept. And so I was thinking about how hope keeps our minds healthy. So the helmet of salvation is on you. And when you have that hope of your salvation in God, um, your mind is going to be working and being able to see things clearly and to see hope for your future. Um, I think that a mind that has lost hope becomes sick. And so to me, the, just the adding, a, adding in that word of hope brought another layer of meaning for me. Yeah, I like that. I hadn't, I hadn't um, you know, thought of it being the hope of salvation, uh, but I, I'm going to need to think on that a little bit more. But I like that, that idea. I, I think for me, what came to mind is, you know, a helmet... It's its entire purpose is to protect the 
kind of operation center of the of the body and that everything we do everything we are um you know kind of comes from our mind our brain and so you know if, if our feet get damaged even if our torso or our arms get damaged you know there's an opportunity for that to heal uh there's an opportunity for that to uh for us to to still be able to survive even if like now granted this wasn't necessarily the case you know during the time that paul was writing but if you have an an amputation you know you can survive an amputation uh and so there are some pretty serious injuries that you can withstand at least in this day and time again maybe not so much in paul's day and age but uh but even still occasionally in his time where you could withstand some pretty serious injury uh to various parts of your body and still live your head is the exception to that if you get you know uh, even just kind of rattled a little bit that can cause some pretty serious you know permanent damage and i think what the that what that is saying in helmet of salvation is that we can withstand a lot of damage we can withstand a lot of of um uh trauma to various parts of the body but salvation is really what's protecting the main thing you know our salvation in christ is 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 helping to protect our connection to god and that is the main thing and so all the other things that paul's talking about are important but but the main thing we need to protect is is you know that uh is our salvation in christ that's kind of how i read and apply that those are good yeah, and if your if your salvation is protected, the rest of your body is going to be functioning well because your brain is controlling everything else. Right, um, right. But if your salvation is in jeopardy or injured, then the rest of your body is going to have a lot of problems too. Those are good good connections. Yeah, I referenced a, a history professor on Sunday, and one of the things he said about this was that he said soldiers could expect a hail of rocks, arrows and foul stinking animal waste to be rained down on their heads from above before the front lines ever met in conflict. So this idea that as you're going into it, which, which a shield would protect with as well, but he was saying that that was one of the, uh, an important piece of the helmet was just, you're going to have so much stuff coming at you before you even get to the front lines of battle that a helmet was, was helpful in protecting you from and he said, so he, said, he wrote that sentence and he said, a more apt spiritual comparison I cannot think of. This idea that <laughs> you're just going to have, it's a podcast, so you're going to have literal crap thrown at you in life <laughs> and your helmet of salvation is, is, is designed to help sustain you through whatever life can throw at you. So uh, quickly, let's hit, we, we spent a lot of time on the, the peace one, which was good. Uh, but we're going to have to run through these last couple quickly now then. But so anything on the sword of the spirit before we before we close out today that either of you had? Well, I just want to say that the, the sword of the spirit, I think, is one of those that, in my opinion, gets um, misapplied. And I think it's misused a lot of time. You know, we think of a sword as being, and I think you mentioned this in the sermon, it's, it's one of the few offensive... Uh, you know, pieces of armor that, that Paul includes in this list. And so I think we often misunderstand that to mean that we should be using this to attack. And so we, 
I think, um, inappropriately sometimes take that to mean that the, um, you know, the spirit of God, which we often apply, for some reason, I think we apply that to the Bible. Uh, We call that the sword, but we sometimes will use that to, you know, metaphorically bludgeon people that we that who may disagree with us. And I think sometimes it's used as as a, as a literal verbal wet weapon uh, of such. And I I think that's a, a misappropriation um, instead, what I think is that um, where it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, uh, I take that to mean that we that in some ways we can allow God to do our fighting for us, that we don't have to be as offensive. We don't have to be, uh, you know, fighting with with literal swords um, I, I kind of take that, and I, don't, I doubt that Paul had this in mind because I don't know that Paul was even necessarily aware of the story, but it reminds me of when Jesus is confronted in the garden uh, by the, the soldiers come to, coming to arrest him, and Peter, you know, attacks one of them with a sword, and, you know, Jesus rebukes Peter for doing so, and it's not because Jesus is not fighting and he's not, you know, uh, pursuing the will of God, but he's fighting in a different way. You know, he's not fighting with swords. He's he's you know fighting with the spirit of God, and uh, and I think that that example of Jesus in the garden, combined with the scripture, kind of give an image of how we should be fighting for the kingdom of God as well, not with a literal sword, but with the sword of the spirit. I, yeah, I've had similar thoughts, Jason, and I, I have I had a thought that yeah, I do think this is one that gets misapplied or used out of context, and I think it connects back to what Paul, how Paul begins this list, where he says, you know, our our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the dark spiritual, you know, forces that we're battling against, basically. And I do think one of the unfortunate things, you know, we could say about modern Christianity, but I think it's probably true of of Christianity, you know, across time is that too often we end up arming ourselves with some of these things and then going to battle with other believers uh, or, you know, people who we should be fighting with or whatever image you want to use about kind of differences of thought, opinion, um, theology, doctrine, whatever. And that's not to say there aren't important conversations to have there and, and disagreements that need to be thought out and, and places where we might just decide, you know, we're just going to have to agree to disagree, go our separate ways, whatever. Um, but it does feel like too often we end up battling with the wrong, the wrong people. Rachel, any thoughts on the sword of the spirit? I do have interpretive questions, but those would probably take longer than the time we have left. So um, throw questions. one of them out, just rhetorical at the end. We're, we're <laughs> okay. out of time. <laughs> yeah, just throw them out. They can be our closing rhetorical questions that people can leave with. Oh, well, like one is, is the weapon the spirit or is the weapon the word of God? Is the spirit using the word of God as his weapon? Or is it saying we use the spirit who uses the word of God or we use the word of God as our weapon? I'm trying to figure out what is actually the weapon. Is it the spirit or is it the word of God? 
Um, That's a good question. I I guess I I read it as they're one in the same, that the spirit, which is the word of God, and so the word of God is the spirit. You know, it's kind of like if we were talking about a literal sword, the sword is, you know, iron or steel or whatever it is, that it is made up of, it is the substance that makes it up. So the substance of the spirit is the word of God. Yeah. That's kind of how I read it. But I think y'all both kind of bring up interesting questions that, that I hadn't necessarily thought of, of. Is this something I'm supposed to arm myself with almost as some kind of weapon that I go into battle with? Or is it this idea that, that because of the Spirit and because of the Word of God, I don't have to take weaponry into these battles, that that is, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord type of, of imagery, um, that it's not mine to fight, it's God's, is, is an interesting question to kind of ponder there. But... We're out of time for today. So we'll leave those questions for people to ponder on their own. And um, maybe we could spend a whole nother conversation on just those questions. But we'll let people sit with those and, and uh, contemplate those on your own as, as we finish out for today. So Jason, Rachel, thank you all for spending some time with me today and for helping us think through this. I'm going to close us out in a very brief prayer. And uh, we appreciate everyone listening. Uh, Father, grant us readiness, peace that comes from your word. Uh, Help us to be people confident in our salvation and your love for us. May it lead us to love for others. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.